Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Deputy Director of the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Eugene Hernandez. Welcome to the Apple Store. Uh, yes, I'm Eugene Hernandez from Lincoln Center, and I'm thrilled to be uh, to be down here uh, once again. I really love doing these uh, events here at the Apple Store, and um, greetings to everybody who's listening in or watching in on our podcast. Um, Thrilled to have this evening's guest. We're going to meet him in a minute. But uh, before we meet Anton Corbin, we're going to ta look, take a look at the trailer for A Most Wanted Man. German intelligence needs a job to be done that German law won't let it do. Our unit was set up to develop resources. We're not policemen. We're spies. Our sources don't come to us. Hi, Oliver. Good to see you. We find them. When they're ours, we direct them at bigger targets. It takes our minnow to catch a barracuda, a barracuda to catch a shark. They're moving. You can't do this. I'm a lawyer. Lawyer. I'm a social worker for terrorists. You've crossed the line. You're on their side now. I'm frightened. Not just by. Can't do this anymore. You're my ears or my eyes. I need you. We have a job to do. You're going to help me do it. Martha Sullivan, U.S. Embassy, Berlin. moves money through a network of Muslim charities, and every time he does, some of it goes missing. He's moving the money to a shipping company. He's got a lot of friends here in Berlin. Watch your back. The man's tolerant, engaged with the West, but every good man has a little bit of bad, doesn't he? And in Abdullah's case, that little bit just might kill you. We have three hours to apprehend Abdullah, make him ours. Hello? If this kid lets off a bomb, it's in your hands. I'm not doing this for you. Most of us don't get to choose. I gave you Isa. Isa gives you Abdullah. What's next? Maybe you could define for us what the long-term objective would be. To make the world a safer place. Isn't that enough? Please join me in giving a warm Apple Store Soho welcome to Mr. Anton Corbin. Hello, Anton. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. As I already told Anton backstage, um, I could have, I could just as easily talk with him for an hour about my favorite band in the world, Depeche Mode, and all the work he's done with them. You may be familiar with his work um, in yeah. the music world with Depeche Mode, and certainly with um, another 
my second favorite band, Nirvana. Uh, his iconic work with um, a number of bands uh, is what um, introduced introduced me to uh, to this man. Uh, and now we see you uh, again making a feature film. Yeah. That's, that's actually well, what we're going to talk about. In a way, the Mode are. Um, there is maybe a kind of link in that the Mode let me do so many things. So it went from um, photography, little videos to um, video compilation things, so towards film in a way and, and uh, stage design. So uh, I guess thanks, partly thanks to them, I could develop myself into a position where I could possibly believe I could make a film. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made um, more than 75 music videos for a number of bands, um, and were you at all uh, trepidatious? Were you all ner at all nervous when you first, uh, you know, you made the thrill, you made uh, the American in 2010? I mean, were you? How did you feel about that transition? Was there any anxiety on your part, or did it feel like a natural thing for you? Well, well the first film I, I, I actually made was a Control, which was right. 2006, yeah. um, and the only reason why I thought I could have a step at making a film was that I knew Ian Curtis and. I'd moved from Holland to England, and I felt I had at least an emotional connection to the subject matter that many really good directors might not have. So that was my um, one belief I had in myself, that I might be able to make something that others maybe couldn't. And once I'd made that film, uh, and it was received so well, you know, I got all the offers, I got an agent, you know, it became uh, a possibility to do more films. And, yeah, it's, it's a trepidation, I would say, the first two films for sure. So because that film, just to ask you to elaborate on that for a moment, so because that film was rooted in a particular story about someone, it was connected to someone you could relate to or, or had an understanding of, that made it an easier transition. introduction, yes. transition. Because a lot of people think that photography and film are not that far apart. In my, in my case, I think they're very far apart because I'm a photographer who works very singular with the camera going out to meet people and take a photograph. Whereas if you have a, a photographer that's like a fashion photographer with lots of assistants and lights, I think you're already more into directing. But for me, it was an incredible change. Even making mu music videos to films is, is a very big um, step. Um, because if you have a great song, you can put any kind of images on it. It, you know, it always will work in a way. Whereas with the film, you really have to have the story and the film, and music will help you, but it's, it's a different thing. Well, I, I want to ask you in a minute about the new film, A Most Wanted Man, and it's based on uh, um, a Jean Le Car novel. Um, but in order to give the audience here and those listening to their and watching the podcast a, a better understanding of your background, was photography the first um, creative form of expression that you explored, and, and how did... How did you get into image making? I guess maybe I'm trying to look at, at how you got started. And yes, I mean my first love in life was music, and I once borrowed my father's camera at a concert just to to give myself an excuse to go to the front of the stage. I took a few pictures, and um, I got managed to get them published, and they were not very good. But um, when, when was this? How old were you? Or I was what? 17. And where and, was this? Uh, in Holland. Okay. In town in Holland. Um, but anyway, I just realized then that photography would bring me closer to music. And so my uh, subject matter was m musicians. That became natural. So my first 15 years of photography was I only photographed musicians. Um, 
uh, but yeah, photography was the first creative kind of step I, I did. And I'm totally self-taught, um, also with film, actually, as you probably can tell. Not at all. You say that as if uh, you're not accomplished, but um, I don't think we can tell. I mean, I think, how do you, how do you if you're self-taught, how, how do you teach yourself? How do you nurture your own creative instincts well, as someone who isn't being taught by an external factor or person? Well, you, you, mean, you, you drive and, and, and you're... you're Maybe your desire to make certain things is maybe by outside factors and, and, and inside factors. But I mean, the, the way you shoot um, is limited by, by your um, um, possibilities. So I always say your, your um, uh, disability to do anything it, it is, is defining your style. You know? um, so I would never consider myself a professional photographer because there's so much stuff I can't do. But there's, there's certain things I can do, and people seem to like the certain things I can do. So, you know, that's my little thing. Yeah. If we were to look at the photos you shot at that first concert, would we see a link to your work now? Do you, do you see a link? <laughs> no. Do you see a progression in your own work? Um, oh, the, I would like to think there's a progression, yes, because the pictures are not very good. Um, and my photography has gone through a lot of phases where I, I either was conceptual or I was um, more uh, documentary-like. You know. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you talk about you mentioned uh, control. Uh, you meant, and we I mentioned um, the American, the American, uh, and now with uh, a most wanted man. Is there something in your film work that is distinctive about your choices or how you make the choices of the stories you're going to explore? Because you're obviously, when you decide to make a movie, you're deciding to invest in a subject, and you're going to be spending a lot of time with that story you're going to be spending a lot of time with those people and that idea yes yeah, so it, it, i think it's it's a mix of things that 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 um draw you to a certain story with the american it was uh, because i wanted to make something very opposite to control so it became a hollywood film it was in color it was with an american um movie star as opposed to the unknown english actors um it was fictional you know it um now, with uh, Most Wanted Men, I wanted to make something that uh, related to the world we live in, um, the post-9-11 world. And, um, I mean, that was very meaningful to me to, to um, spend time on that. As a general link to the films, I'd say that they're all about individuals, about loners. It, I don't think we can go too far into this conversation without acknowledging the presence of Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's impossible not to, it's impossible to watch the movie, it's impossible to see the trailer without thinking about yeah. him. Um, and I think it's appropriate just to ask you from the beginning here, you know, to talk about working with him. He's a New Yorker, so people here certainly um, are familiar with him and, and I'm sure all familiar with his work, but I'm sure you're asked ask this question a lot about, yeah. about him. Well, um Let's just first start with the good reasons, the, or the positive reasons. Uh, you know, the film is dominated by Philip for all the right reasons, because he is um, an actor that, that pulls you in, um, that basically never set a step wrong uh, in any of his films. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that uh, because Philip passed away, the film has taken on um, a different weight, a different kind of importance, which um, 
obviously, I'm very unhappy about um, because the, the reason why it got this weight. And it's very difficult for me to see the film because of that, uh, and I guess for many people. But I also like to think that, uh, in a way, it's beautiful to see him at work uh, in the film. Uh, there's a lot of characters that Philip has portrayed over the years, and they tend to be sometimes quite eccentric. And people remember these roles because they're so out there, like the master or Capote. Whereas in this role, it seems to be more of a, a normal kind of guy, but Philip puts so much depth into that person. There's so, much, so many nuances to that role that you, you know, that can only come from a great actor. Um, so it's a delight to see that. Um, and yeah, here in so I, I met, I had to lunch with Philip the first time I met him in, in um, uh, a little bar um, uh, on, on this street. So, As a way of um, telling us more about the movie, maybe you can tell us a bit more about his character and then we'll kind of build from there and we're gonna watch a clip in a few minutes. Um, um, and and tell us a bit more about that character. Tell us about, and then maybe use a way to weave in a little bit about working with him and, and what a, you know, amazing actor he was. Yeah, now first of all, of course, my, my experience with actors is limited uh, in terms of filmmaking. Um, but Philip um, really taught me a lot. And Philip is a no-bullshit actor. You know, he, he goes for the character of the person he portrays. Uh, nothing can stand in the way, uh, not even himself. I think he's, he's been hard on himself uh, in that sense. But he gives you everything um, that person in the film needs. Um, and obviously, Jean Le Carré, who wrote the book, he gave us a lot of background information about spying. And a lot of spies are not the Jason Bourne kind of spies um, or James Bond. Uh, these are more fantasy um, figures. So it, it's quite mundane kind of work. Uh, it's a lot of sitting and watching and, and small stuff. Uh, which you see back in the film. Uh, you know, I'm not known for action films. Uh, the, the trailers are sometimes more active than my movies are, but I guess that's a normal phenomenon. Um, but you know, the sense of a normal day-to-day -day thing and what people go through, I think, is well represented in the film. And, and Philip, that's what I meant earlier, that Philip, all those nuances, you know, the, the looks, the, the huffs and puffs, and. Um, the body language is just fantastic. I always wanted for that role a, 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 an actor who had some, some, um, yeah, a larger um, figure, <laughs> um, and and so yeah, it was it was a, a fantastic combination about um, his his talent as an actor and and the, um, the the shape he brought to the film. There's a um, there's a heightening sense of tension and drama that emerges from the very opening moments of this film and it carries you through the movie as the the tension the thriller aspects become revealed and you follow the action of the movie um, maybe what we can do is take a look at one clip and then we'll talk about that scene and then as we talk about that uh, people will get a little bit better sense of the movie although we, would, we don't want to give away the entire movie here we want people to go see it in the theater so um, let's take a look at this first clip uh, I think it's called uh, Chase it's the, the okay yeah this, this is the if you want to set it up just a little bit yeah this is a chase um, which again it's not representative so much maybe for the whole film but there's, there's a few of these moments in the film um, and I can talk 
through it later. Okay, so let's take a look. First clip. The film is a most wanted man, and the director is uh, Anton Corbin talking about the film. And in that first clip, we get a sense of some of the tension in the film. And again, you don't want to give away the entire, uh, all the plot points of a, of a thriller that kind of builds in this way. But maybe you have an opportunity to give us a little bit of a, of a sense of what you were working with or trying to explore. And uh, having not read the, the Jean Carré novel, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it. Well, the, um, well, the movie, first of all, is set in Hamburg in Germany because the pilots that flew into the World Trade Center here were based in Hamburg, um, and they let them slip through the net, as it were. So the security system in Germany was uh, reviewed after 9-11, and that's what we're dealing with in the film. Bachmann, the, the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman character, is the head of one of these um, secret services units. And um, uh, what we see here is that the Rachel McAdams character, who is a human rights lawyer, takes the um, possible terrorist, Isa, uh, from one safe house to another, and they're being followed. Um, we shot it in an area of Hamburg called the, the Reeperbahn, uh, which is this kind of red light district. And they escape to a club. In the club, there's a song. Um, you might like it. It's uh, an 80s song. 
by a band called DAF, D-A-F, that stands for Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft. That means um, German-American friendship. And uh, of course, it's really um, interesting that the film was shot in 2012. In 2013, all the revelations from Snowden came up about the NSA snooping on the um, German uh, people and even on the private phone of uh, Chancellor uh, Merkel. And even last week, the, um, the head of the CIA in, stationed in Berlin was thrown out of the country. So there's a lot of that German-American stuff going on at the moment, and the, the film really deals with a prelude to that, I guess. So it, it's, uh, now it's live imitating art. Yes. Um, let's, I don't want to leave out some of the other actors you work with uh, because it's an exceptional cast, I think. Um, maybe tell us about some of the other casting choices you made and, and, and going through that process of trying to find the right uh, actor, actresses to play these key roles. Yeah, so um, Philip was in a way quite early on and Rachel too. Then I, I searched a long time before I had Robin. Robin Wright plays the um, CAA um, operative in Germany, um, and that's an important role um, opposite uh, Philip. Um, then we have Willem Dafoe, who plays an Austrian-English banker, and um, that's kind of against type, I guess. But um, Willem is such an amazing and, and, and uh, versatile actor who I'd known for almost 20 years. And I went to see a play that uh, by Bob Wilson uh, called The Life and Death of Marina Abramovich, uh, which happened to be in Amsterdam, and I, I went there that evening, and I had a drink with Willem afterwards, and I thought, well, that would be... He was so amazing in that, and I thought, wow, why not um, let an American play this, this role? Um, so that was the, the main actors, and then, of course, the Russian guy, the Isa character. Uh, that was quite a find, because it's... I wanted to have an unknown actor, but from that region. Uh, so that was that took the most time, I guess. And uh, for the rest, there's a lot of great German actors in it: um, uh, Egyptian, in, in Iranian, um, and and Germans. Yeah. Do you um, you mentioned sort of evolving into a filmmaker? Um, and I wonder, as a follow-up to kind of the conversation we had at the beginning about going from a certain type of creativity, photography, to filmmaking. And now, you know, um, embracing aspects of what might be called like an action or thriller film. It's a type of genre. Um, how do you, how is, what is your comfort level now when you, when you are casting or when you're directing a scene like this? It's, 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 it's so, it's, it's, a, it's a long way from, you know, uh, shooting, a, shooting a, a, a photos at a concert to, you know, staging oh, yeah. a scene like, like this. Uh, yeah, I think it's a big step from, from documenting something to actually arranging something. Um, well put. That, you know, that, that, that is a big difference. Uh, and I think by nature, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a viewer. You know, I'm, I'm kind of introvert. and uh, So I, there's a lot in me that uh, I have to find uh, in order to do these things. And that, that's a really interesting process, uh, especially uh, when it comes um, later in life. It's, it's, it's really exciting, I think. Uh, so it's a big adventure. Uh, to do movies. I've just done another film that comes out next year, so I'm, I feel more comfortable um, with the medium, and um, I, can see, I can see better what's possible, I guess, for, for me, and also what I'm interested in. 
I'm curious to have you elaborate on the process of working with actors as well, because you talked about learning from an actor like Philip Seymour Hoffman, but, but tell me about the kinds of conversations you have with your cast and, and how, you, um, how you work with them to achieve the goals that you have for their character, how you, fi- how you help them find their characters, or do they find it and bring it to you? Yeah, it's a combination. I think you ask an actor f- for a certain reason, and you want a part of the character of the actor also to come through in the role. Um, so you, you, uh, I think the initial conversations um, when you cast them are the most important ones almost, because you, you want to see if they're um, comfortable with that role a certain way. Um, and then, you know, the, the actors tend to be of a level that... Um, they bring so much to the table that you usually only have to steer a little bit. You know, there's there's no reinvention of it. Um, and I, th- I think it's a bit the same in that sense with photography because I, I have ideas. I want people to do certain things and then I let them be. So you have a kind of, uh, an still a kind of naturalness to the process. And with film, I try to do that as much as I can as well. Um, obviously, there's sometimes people need more help uh, and other times uh, actors will show me things I didn't think of so it's you have to be very open I guess unless you maybe write a script totally yourself which I don't do you might be more precise with it on the um, visual side uh, I'm curious to find out how you work with another photographer how you work with a cinematographer and I don't know, actually, if when you were making uh, and, and making music videos, or were you always shooting yourself, or did you work with other photographers as well? And how has that process been for you now in feature film, as you've been having a cinematographer? Yeah, no, a lot of the music videos I, I, I shot myself, but uh, maybe a quarter of them or a third. Um, so the, yeah, that was a was a difficult process, I guess, to give to trust somebody. Uh, enough to let them decide on some things, but at the same time, I, I think I'm quite anal about how f- how something looks. So I will always be involved. And this film was a bit of an exception. In, so it was less. My first two films, I think, were very um, obvious coming from a photographer. So the composition was a big element of the film. Here I let more loose, so we did everything handheld uh, to get a sense of urgency, which I think was important for the subject matter. But at the same time, you get a, a, some kind of intimacy because you're, you become, the camera becomes something over someone. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was a, a French DOP uh, that I worked with. Um, and my new film that I just did um, on, on Dennis Stock and James Dean, also, again, I used um, uh, a different DP with a lot of handheld stuff. So I, I let go a little bit of that, the control over the... Um, uh, visual side in, uh, in to a degree can't be easy no but I, I think when I say visual side I actually mean the composition and um, the visual side you're, you're very much in control of I guess by by a lot of choices you make are the um, how close do you stick to the script and how how much is locked down before you shoot a scene or are you to what extent are the actors or others on the set uh, influencing do things is it a fluid process or is it feel pretty locked up when you when you when you when you call action I think you know with rehearsals you already feel a little bit what goes what works well and there were quite a few little rewrites on this film um, because it was quite complex 
and we felt throughout through the film how certain things developed better than others, like the role of Nina Hoss, the um, kind of right hand uh, of Philip Seymour Hoffman in the film. Her role became a bit bigger, and um, uh, for instance, in the film there's a um, apartment where Philip Seymour Hoffman lives. That was never in the script, but I really felt it was really important to, to have a bit of a background on him, where you see that he's well-read, he has interesting jazz records at home, and you know, it's an intelligent man. Um, also, the beginning of the film, the very beginning and the very end um, shots, um, I thought of while we were filming, that was also not in the script. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you one more question about uh, process as well, and that is, um, uh, Film versus digital, working in different formats. How you have, how you feel as a as a creative person, as a filmmaker, as a photographer, in the change that's happened over the time period that you've been making work, and how you've adapted to it as a creative person. Well, I have to say, in my photography, my still photography, I still shoot on film. Really? Um, yeah, really. Exclusively. <laughs> Exclusively, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I like that tension between uh, making your photograph, and then not knowing for quite a few days uh, what the result is. Uh, I grew up with that, and it never felt like a job. And now I get photographed a lot, and people take your picture. And after a few shots, they look at the back of the camera and say, OK. And I don't think there's a sense of adventure left, um, which I, I like to have in my life. With film, it's different, because uh, like with this film, we shot it on, um, uh, on digital, because there's a lot of night shots in, and it's Digital is fantastic for nights. Um, but then again, um, I still love the quality of film. But I'm, I'm not so principled about it in, in, when you shoot film as opposed to stills. Um, yeah. When we talked earlier, I, I forgot to say that to make a script of a John le Carré book is really difficult. And I think uh, Andrew Bovell, the Australian um, scriptwriter, did an amazing job with that. Because the books are so densely layered and um, uh, it's very hard to put everything in a two-hour film, so you leave some elements out of the book. You have to make a lot of choices. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to watch. Um, I want to watch another clip, and then I want to make sure we leave time for questions from the audience. Sure. So um, this other clip uh, is called "The Clock Is Ticking." Uh, do you want to set anything? Um, give us any guidance about this clip, or should we take a look? Um, well, you know, funny enough, the clock is always ticking. Yes, but, our um, clock is ticking here. Right? Um, this is um, a scene in a holding cell, um, a scene between Rachel McAdams and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and one that I really like, and I think uh, Philip is uh, tremendous in it. Let's take a look at the second clip. Your choice is between us and nobody. The clock is ticking. You know they'll find him, and when they do, he'll be on the first plane back to Russia. Unless the Americans want him, then we won't know where he is, and nor will he. He doesn't want the money. He just doesn't want it. Half radical, half rich kid have Russian, have Chechen, loves his mother, hates his father, 
You and I both know Isa Karpov has no idea what he wants. Don't want to give away too much or people won't be able to see the, no, only, only quite to see right. the whole movie. So. They have to go uh, and see the film. As I mentioned <laughs> earlier, you know, we're here at the Apple Store Soho talking about a most wanted man and Anton Corbin is our guest. I mentioned that for those who are watching on the podcast uh, on Apple. Um, I'm curious to, uh, to see what the audience wants to ask you and, and to see whether we'll talk about this film or maybe other aspects of your process or other, other work you've made. So uh, if you have a question, uh, there are microphones on both sides. John Le Carre's books are dense, and I'm really fascinated with how you managed to figure out how to uh, strip this down to, to make it a manageable film. Did you get a chance to work with him as well as uh, your writer working with him, or... Uh, did he? Because he's listed as the executive producer, so I'd like to hear about your interaction with him, or and and or the book. Yeah, well, um, I, I met I met with um, John Lacare a few times, um, also before the um, the script was going to be written. Um, and one of the first questions I think he asked is, "Who did I? Who did I think was going to be the most obvious?" Um, uh, main character because that in the book is not as clear as in the film so I choose Beckman because for me that was the that was the person I wanted to see the the uh, film through um, and then we got the script um, um, writer involved and we for instance took out the English secret services out of the book uh, because it's you know you, you could probably make a TV series out of the book uh, of like six episodes or something. Uh, but um, if you have to condense it into two hours, uh, you have to leave things out and make things clearer. Uh, it's, it's exciting and sometimes you think, well, maybe we should have gone the other way. Uh, hello, Anton Corbijn. My name is André Ahrens. I'm a fellow countryman. Uh, I can tell by the accent. <laughs> As you are. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, uh, sure. I know a little about, uh, I followed your work uh, from the start till now, and uh, I'm curious, because I'm a musician, I'm curious about uh, the, the musical aspects, because obviously you're very musical also, about the, the, the musical aspects in editing and in the, in the, in the, in the, in the following, in the tempo of the movie. Right, well, I think that um, you um, generally uh, edit the film and then add music to it. So if, if, if you feel that it slows down, you probably use some music that, that makes it feel like it's going faster than it actually is. Um, like with the chase scene we watched, you, we have some music under it that, that, that feels like it makes it very fast going. Um, that, that's a score. Uh, we had a Herbert Grunemeyer, the German um, musician who wrote the score for this film. He also wrote the score for the American, and that worked amazing. So um, uh, he, he also was a film star at some point. He was in a movie called Das Boat. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so he understands the process. Uh, and for the rest, I'm very um, precise with the songs I use. And um, you might find it interesting that in every of one of the first three films I've done, there's a Dutch song in, um, because I felt that wherever I, um, I've um, 
arrived, whatever that is, <laughs> on this platform. But wherever I, I got to, it's because I loved music so much. And uh, when I was um, in the 60s and 70s, and there was a couple of Dutch bands that, um, you know, made me enthusiastic about music. So there's my way of thanking them by putting one of their songs into my films. Uh, and in this film, it's a song by a band called Brainbox. The last one was Cuban and Blizzards, and then that was Super Sister. Um, for those who want to know. So yeah, I pay a lot of attention um, to the music that's in the films, both score and songs. Yeah. Yeah, hi. Thanks for um, coming out and talking to us. I was curious about um, if you can expound on the handheld rig that you're using and why, um, how the studio was with you use with going in that direction and why you decided in the past two films to go okay. that way. Well, for, first of all, it's not a studio film. It might look like that because in America it's bought by um, uh, Lionsgate. But we made the film before Lionsgate was involved. So these decisions were not, had nothing to do with the studio. Uh, it was my decision, and um, that's, that's how I wanted to shoot. And the producers were uh, very supportive of that. Um, and you know, these things are made for a reason. They're made, they're made to make the film better. So um, in general, people support it. My handheld can mean you go like this, but it also can mean it's a little bit more fluid. And that's what we try to achieve. Um, and we had a cameraman um, uh, who was very good at that. You know, um, it's amazing. I mean, you do, I think you um, achieve a lot more with the handheld stuff because you, you, um, without, and of course it's faster. You don't have to put tracks down or any of that stuff. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it to to work like that. It was unusual for me. But. Hi, uh, I was wondering, could you talk about the uh, next project? That, I mean, you're already actually shooting a film, but talk about the movie Life uh, you're working on, about the James Dean and uh, relationship with the photographer, Dennis. Yeah, I, I won't spend too much on that, but yeah, I did a new movie called Life, and that deals with the relationship between James Dean and Dennis Stock. Dennis Stock was the photographer for Magnum, who took the famous picture of James Dean on Times Square. So it's about the relation of these two men, how how a photographer looks at his subject and you know how that works. And as a f photographer myself, uh, it was uh, something that interested me. Hi, Anton. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi, Ines. Hi. Um, I was wondering how you prepare creatively for a movie like this compared to Control and The American, because I can clearly see your visual style or your creativity in the first two movies. Um, but I was wondering on a subject like this that is not necessarily as stylish maybe um, as Control would be, how do you prepare? Like, do you still find images that you show people that you like? Or how do you, no, not where does so much. it come from? I actually don't, don't really use a, use a lot of references at all. Uh, all I wanted here was to make it an autumnal kind of film, so the autumn colors were important for me. And I pushed the filming of the film uh, towards autumn. Because um, uh, they wanted to film in summer, but I, I persuaded Philip to help me, saying he couldn't do the summer, so we pushed it to autumn. That was a very big, important um, creative element for me, actually, because it influences how you look at the film, the, these colors. But it's. 
I wanted to get away a bit from the photographer making a film, so I, I was happy to let to let it be looser, and that's what handheld re, handheld really did for me. Um, you know, and the autumn thing was not just the colors, because it's and I've said it before. It, to me, the film feels like um, um, a uh, pointer towards the autumn kind, autumn time for mankind. You know, um, I'm. I'm a little pessimistic here, I think, about the world, but that's that's what I wanted to be part of um, of, of the look of the film and, and the message of the film. Um, yeah, uh, you know, as you know, I mean, everything you have, the clothes people wear, and all these things, and um, you know, it's, everything is part of the creative process. The, the ashtray on a table, you know, all these things, but it, it plays plays now, so you use not a lot of old references. Uh, but you, you know, you can fill up an old car. Um, you know, the clothes he wears. It all, it all helps um, uh, making that a specific character. You know, yeah. it all bits of colors on the canvas. Yeah. Hi, um, the f photos you've taken of uh, Joy Division were all obviously black and white, and then Control also you filmed in black and white. So I was just wondering, just your personal was it. A, Obviously, in some way, for atmospheric reasons, you had the black and white, but your memories of that time, because you were there through the process, are they black and white or are they color? No, my, uh, my memories of uh, when I came to England in the 70s, it was black and white, and that's why Control was in black and white. I mean, there were also practical things to do with that, um, because there was no, there's no photographs, basically, of Joy Division in color, uh, so I think it was correct for the time. This film, would have suffered if it was in black and white, I think. So, you know, photography, um, black and white is still my preference. Uh, color is always a surprise. You know, whatever, when I do color, I'm, I never know what it's going to look like. So, um, yeah. Um, in black and white, I feel quite secure, I guess. So it, it's sometimes interesting to do color just to, to throw that bit of security away, you know. The film, uh, the film is called A Most Wanted Man, and the director is Anton Corbin. Um, I invite you to not only see this movie, but uh, The American and Control, if you haven't. There's um, a wealth of videos and photography that Anton has also created that I think are worth looking at because you can see that kind of trajectory or that path that you've been traveling as an artist, Anton, for for so many years now. And um, so just, uh, it's wonderful to see it uh, now in this form and we will look forward to see it in the next, in your next film as well. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us here at the Apple Store, Anton Corbin. Thank you.